Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Repent happens first in the mind, then in the heart, and your body will follow. Repentance is first, I changed my mind. I've been going this way against God. Now I've heard from God, I repent. I changed my mind about where I'm going. I changed my heart about what I was doing, and now I'm changing my behavior. Behavior has to be a part of repentance, right? Repentance is not just mental acknowledgement or confession. Some people confuse confessing their sins with repentance. Repentance can be demonstrated in a short amount of time. You can watch repentance happen. When's the last time you repented? Have you ever done something incredibly awful but felt no reassurance after confessing it to someone? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to experience escape from your past mistakes, you need to give it all to God. You will never feel release until you let God take all of your burdens, get out of your own way, and let God change you from the inside out. There is nothing you can do on your own. Be washed clean by God's grace. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter two, as he continues his message, the Church of Pergamos. May the Holy Spirit convict us all where there's compromise, that we would repent of it, that we would rid ourselves of it. Here's the problem. This, this doctrine, God says, never mind. It's not that the world was doing this. He says, but you have there those that hold that, you're letting that mess in my church. So let's talk about this. Whose church is this? It's God's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. He is the Lord of his, this church. Amen. So who makes the rules for what we do here? He does. I don't make this up. This is his church. These are y'all are his people. If you're a believer, you don't belong to me. You belong to him. And God makes the rules for how we're to do things and what we're to do um, as a church. God makes the rules for who can be part of the church. Um, You know, what do you have to believe to be part of the church? You can't just believe anything and be part of the church. Y'all know that. So so there are some people that leave you. Everybody created is, you know, we're all God's children. That is a false doctrine. We're all his, we're all created in his image. You got to be born again into the family of God. So, but there are people that say, oh, we're all God's kids. You don't, shouldn't judge. You, you know, people can do what they want to do, blah, 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 bogus. So we got to be careful about that because the church sometimes is tempted to lay the standard down. Um, you know, so people will come or people will be happy when they come. Um, here goes some of the ways that that could happen in the church. You can have a church that says, well, we're just not going to talk about sin because people don't want to hear about sin. So I'm not going to talk to I'm not going to put I'm not going to tell y'all that are not married. Y'all shouldn't be sleeping together because y'all all get your feelings hurt and leave. That's not that's not right. That wouldn't be fair as a, a church to do that, because the Bible says that people that are not married shouldn't be sleeping together. Right. Say it like you mean it. Um, that's what it teaches. So, you know, that I wouldn't change. I wouldn't lower the standards. So people will say, oh, I love that place. I just feel good when I go because um, maybe you don't need to feel good. Maybe you need to repent. So you can be good for real. Right. Um, We don't want to lay the standard down. I don't want I don't want to make it okay for people to, you know, turn up, live wild, be drunk, get high and then come here on Sunday and everything is good. No, you should repent. You can't get comfortable living like that. You will miss heaven by a lot. That's the Bible. The Bible says if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. I know that. I owe it to you to tell you that I can't lower the standard because, you know, then we'll have a church full of things. Um, homosexuality, that's rampant in our culture right now. We love people that are struggling with every type of sin, but it is a sin. 
So I can't say, well, you know what? People can love who they want to love. That's not my business. It's not my business, but you, you, you can't lust who you want to lust. That's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a standard that God has set up, and that's the standard. And if we mess with that to where we just, just, just move everything, God would say, you have there those. My church, that think they're part of my church, they ain't got nothing to do with me. And I'll come, and he's going to tell them in a minute, I'm going to come slice them out. I'm going to come deal with that. That's not okay. You can't have that up in here. In the same way that he would say that about his church in general, I don't want things in my church that don't belong in my church. He would say that about you individually. You are an individual member of the church of Jesus. Amen? Each one of us are individual members of the body of Christ. And so the stuff in me that God would say, that's not like me, bro. That's not, that's not what I want. It's not why I didn't die for you to be that kind of person then I got to let the Lord deal with those things. And it changes over the years. I could, run, tell, I could run the tape back in my life and tell you that at different seasons, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with different issues in my heart and in my life. But they're the things that are not like him. And God is saying, I don't, that, that can't dwell. That can't continue to be like that. You can't have a bad attitude all the time. That doesn't reflect me. You can't be snapping and angry at folks all the time. That's not like me. You can't be greedy and taken from folks all That's not how I am. Um, over my, I can't make, I told y'all many times, you can't be making fun of people until their feelings get hurt. Um, that's what I was good at. And if, if you made me mad, if you got on my nerves, I would just clown you until you felt bad and I felt good. I felt good that you felt bad. That was, that was my, that was my Christian way of socking you. Cause I can't sock you no more, but I can roast you until I feel really good about how bad you feel. Um, so the Lord was like, that, that's not okay. That's not like me. I had to die to that. And on and on and on in my life, there are things that God is saying, I want that to be gone. To this church, he says, man, you guys have compromised. You guys have their those. They're not just coming and visiting. They're part of the church that are holding this doctrine of compromise. Then he says, uh, again, he's, he's dealing with the things he has against them. Um, he, he says about this group that they, you know, Balaam caused a stumbling block to the children of Israel. They committed, you know, sexual sin. They ate things. They were sacrificed to idols. If you guys go read the story, thousands of people died uh, as God brought out his punishment against that. Then it says in verse 15, thus you also have there those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Jesus says, which thing I hate. And you don't hear Jesus say a lot of things that he hates. So when he does say something that he hates, you should really pay attention. He said this to another church. He commended them for not allowing the Nicolaitans, which thing he hates. But this church, he's, he's confronting them that you have there those, those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? It is, again, this. It is where the, 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 the church leadership and the, the laity, the regular folk, where there's this far gap, uh, that there's this hierarchy that says we're people, we're way up here and the people are way down there where people are making themselves the big deal. And I tell you guys all the time when the church gathers together, who's the big deal? Jesus Christ. Never me, never the worship team, never, never the people standing here. We're all, we're all on this. We're all part of the body together. We got different gifts and we function differently, but, but I don't get to be the big deal when we gather. Jesus is the big deal. It's not like if you, if you look at the Catholic church, an example, the priests are way separated from the people. They're, they're holy, you're regular. We pray, you pray what we tell you to pray. We read the Bible, you listen to us read you the Bible. You sin, you bring it to us, we'll pray for you, tell you how many Hail Marys, 
our fathers, blah, blah, blah. There are other forms of that where the laity. Now, I understand biblically that that man is nothing but a man. Um, he's not anything special. Whatever they've taught him or got him believing about himself and have people believing about. He is just a man. The pope is just a man who will give an account to God one day for the position that he took and how he's in between God and people. Um, that's a problem. God says there shouldn't be anything when, when the veil torn to there shouldn't be anything that's in between God and his people. And we got to be very careful as those that are blessed to be in positions of leadership to never get in the way of God and his people. We're not in the way. We're leading people to him. We're teaching people about him, but we're not in the way. You don't need me to speak to Jesus. And you don't need me for Jesus to speak to you. That's why we tell you all to read your Bibles. We expect for you to read it at home. We expect for God to speak to you all by yourself, just as much as we believe in this exchange as well. But this is not it. Um, but God says, look, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The problem with this church was that they had their those. They had brought into his church things that he's telling them, right? I hate that. And it's in my church. Are there things in your life that God would say, I hate that? And it's in your life. If I can give you the heart of God on this issue. How many of us are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent, right? So you're a kid. You love your kids. But if your kids get involved in drugs or something damaging like that, you still love your kid, but you look at those drugs and you just, I hate those drugs. I hate that you're doing that. I hate that you're taking that into your life and the damage that it's bringing. You don't hate your kid, amen? But you would do anything if you could to separate them from that drug because you hate that. Jesus is saying, it's my church. and I love my church. I love the people that make up my church, but you guys are brought into it stuff that I hate. And I want to separate those things. And if you don't, you could separate yourself from those things by repenting of them. That's what that would be the A plan. That's what God would want. But God will warn them here. If they won't repent, he's going to help them out. Anybody ever had God help you get rid of something that you weren't ready to get rid of? That's not really the way you want to do it. Right. You want to hear God and repent. But sometimes some of y'all here got the knucklehead syndrome. The ministries happen for y'all. Some of y'all have had God come in and I, I, I got you. I got you on this. I'm going to go ahead and rid you of it. And, um, and if need be, you know, he's a faithful dad. So here's his answer. And this is always his answer for how to get it right when we're wrong. First word in verse 16 is repent. That is God's remedy for sin. That's God's remedy for a messed up life. That is always God's remedy. How do I get it right? How do I start back with you again? How do I get back on track? God would say one word, repent. What does it mean? Repent happens first in the mind, then in the heart, and your body will follow. Repentance is first. I changed my mind. I, I've been going this way against God. Now I've heard from God. I repent. I changed my mind about where I'm going. I changed my heart about what I was doing. And now I'm changing my behavior. Behavior has to be a part of repentance, right? Repentance is not just mental acknowledgement or confession. Some people confuse confessing their sins with repentance. Repentance can be demonstrated in a short amount of time. You can watch repentance happen. Uh, if you haven't changed what you're doing, you haven't yet repented. So if you're still doing the same thing, you're like, oh yeah, I repented of that. I repented of that again. I no, no, you, you've acknowledged it. You may have confessed it, but the fact that you're still there, you have not repented of it yet, right? Uh, if I have a couple that's living together and not married, sleeping together like they husband and wife and they're not husband and wife, if they still living together like the husband and wife, have they repented? No, they're not. They're still there. They're still doing it. You're still not married. You're still functioning like married folk. When you're not married folk, that's called fornication. You've got to re repentance with me. Y'all stop that. Right. If I repent of drunkenness, am I going to show up with a 40? 
Not if I repented, right? Not, 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 not if I repented of it. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to show up with that. Can I tell y'all what I used to do? Because I was, I, I was a 40 guy. And so when I first got saved and I quit, God delivered me right away. But I was addicted to like just drinking a big cold. I used to buy a big Perrier. And I would just take a Perrier to the neck and then just get that big burp. And I was like, all right, you know, I was delivered. That, that, that carried me for a few months. And then I, I still do that every once in a while. But, but um, the Lord was good. The Lord was good. So repent, though. You got to turn from what you're doing and turn back to the Lord. That is God's remedy. So he says this in verse 16. Repent. And here's the warning. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I want you to notice the little word change there. God says, repent, or I will come to you quickly and fight against them. Notice that God is distinguishing them from his church. I'm going to come to you, my church, and I'm going to fight against them. You got people in my church that are not, they're not part. That means there are people that are there that God said, I don't even know, they're not part of us. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to fight against them. Check this out, because that's the church he's speaking to there, but what if that's your life? And God said, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to fight against, you got stuff in there that God said, I'm I'm I got to get that out. God's A plan is that we would repent. But if we won't repent, there are times where God will chasten and punish. God has his ways about how to get us to see things his way. Um, There's a story I could think of, and I I just love it because it's a great parallel. It's in 2 Chronicles And I believe it's 33 and 31. There was two scenarios. One is with King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the good kings, um, did things the way God wanted him to do them. But he had a moment where he got, the Bible says he was lifted up with pride. And it says that the judgment of God loomed over him and all the people. But nobody warned him. Nobody told him, you're about to get in trouble. Um, Just the judgment of God was over him. And somehow on his own, he just, it says that he repented of the pride of his heart. And then it says that God relented of the, that he repented and God said, oh, cool. No, no need for the spanking that you was about to get. And, it, and that's, so nothing ever happened to Hezekiah. He was in a bad place. God was getting ready to do it. The, the scriptures are giving us that insight. And then God says, oh, he repented. Perfect. No need. But then he had a son named Manasseh. Manasseh was a high level idiot. Uh, Manasseh was nothing like his dad. He came on the scene and just did everything against what his dad did. He erected altars of false God. It literally says that he seduced the people to worship other gods. And it says that God came to him and spoke to him, but he would not listen. And so then it says, just a few verses later, said, then the Lord sent the captain of the king of the army of Assyria, one of the worst kingdoms in the world in terms of how they treat their prisoners. And they took him captive with bronze fetters, handcuffs, and a hook in his nose. They would put a hook in your nose and a chain link you to the prisoner in front of you and walk you through town so everybody knew how bad they were um, and, and not to mess with them. And it says that when he was in captivity, it says that he, he, he cried out. He was broken. And it says then he knew that the Lord was God. and He, he repented. And God delivered him from that prison. And he came back. God set him free and gave him a second chance. And he says, then he knew that the Lord was God. But it took that. Now, he could have changed. He could have listened when God spoke to him. And he could have foregoed the hook in the nose, the fetters on his arms, the the abuse and the beating in the prison time. He could have been without all of that if he had just listened when God spoke. So you too. So me too. If we will listen when God speaks, we can forego some unnecessary chastisement and discipline. Amen. But if you won't listen, God's like, oh, okay. Some of y'all did discipline your kids. You know, I talk first. But if you won't listen, 
I know how to get you to listen. Um, I just, I, we got some other things to do, you know, so mine are all a little older now. But, you know, I mean, we, we've had with each child has had their moment. Um, I won't mention one of my kids. They're so cute and little when they were small. But I, I remember this kid telling my wife no. And I was shocked. I was I heard my wife tell them to do something and they said no. And I was in the other room and I went and I said, what did you say? I said, no. I said, well. Why'd you say that, Harmony? I'm sorry. She, <laughs> she, said, she said, I don't want to. And I was like, oh, man. I, I had to, that was her first bank, and I had to take her in. I said, you, you can't tell your mama no. I don't want to, you know. Now, y'all may not agree with that, but that's how we do in our house. You can't tell us no. Uh, you can think it. You can feel it. But I don't want to see it or hear it. So God have a way, too. If you won't listen, um, God knows how to get us to listen. Amen. So moving on, he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That's a sword, that big one we looked at where he's coming to do judgment and destruction. Now, verse 17, what he says to every church, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. What does that mean? I mean, if you have an ear to hear what God is saying, if you can, if you can hear what God is speaking, make sure you obey what the spirit is saying to the church. Sometimes people can't hear God very clear because they, when, you, when you're disobedient over time, you become dull of hearing. And if you want to turn up God's volume, some people are seeking God for clarity over here. And God is saying, I've spoken so clear over there and you haven't listened. Why would I speak to you anymore? Why would I, why would I give you new information on new issues and I've spoken to you very clearly over here and you haven't heeded my word? Sometimes we got to go back to the last thing God spoke very clearly and make sure we've obeyed that. Uh, when it comes to hearing from the Lord, I love the story in 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you guys remember, little Samuel, he was, uh, his mom Hannah was blessed to have him, and she had made a vow to the Lord that, Lord, give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And so when she weaned him, probably, you know, age five and eight, that's how long they were, you know, taking the wean back in those days, she took him and she gave him to the priest, he took him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord and left him there. He was the holiest thing in the, in the temple because Eli was a wreck and Eli's sons were, were terrible. And so as he's there and he hasn't really started hearing from the Lord yet, he gets his first word, God is calling him. And he doesn't know what's going on. He's hearing it. He thinks Eli's calling him. He, he keeps running to Eli's bed. Hey, you called me. And Eli said, no, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. But Eli discerned after a couple times that, oh, this is the Lord calling him. Eli gave him some really good information on how to hear from God. He said, next time you hear his voice, say this. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The word hears there, it means to listen with the intent to obey. He says, next time you hear God speak, say, Lord, speak. I'm listening and I intend to obey what you show me. Here's why that's so important. God will speak and continue to speak to the person that listens and intends to obey him. And God, this is the thing with God. God knows when you're listening, if you intend to obey or not, right? God knows if you're just bodily present or if you're there saying, God, show me what to do so I can do it. He knows the difference. God said, if you want to hear from me, have that heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Have a heart that says, God, whatever I hear from you, I intend to obey it. Now he gives a promise to them. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Two things he promises to the overcomer. One, he says, I'm going to give you of the hidden manna to eat. 
In the Old Testament, we had manna. Manna was a supernatural bread from heaven that would come down to feed the Israelites every day. It was just enough to satisfy. God said he gave each one how much they can take. You couldn't take too much or it would turn into what? Worms and it would get rotten. They, they found that out the hard way. Right? God said this take just enough. There was enough to satisfy every day. He replenished them. Then as we come to the New Testament, Jesus says he's the, the, the word of life. He's the, the manna that came down from heaven is Jesus. This is what we know about that. He's the one that satisfies. And he says here, look, for those who overcome, I'll give you to eat of the hidden manna. I'm going to give you satisfaction. And I want you to know this. You will never find true satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. You can search for it. You can seek it. You will never be satisfied apart from him. All you got to look at is the people that have what you think would satisfy you. Most people in America think if we had enough money, if I, had, if I just had a few million dollars, I would be, man, I would be good. But go look at the people that have millions of dollars. They're not satisfied. Not that the world doesn't have anything they can satisfy. Look at your NBA player. I just want a ring. I want my first ring. You know what happened? They get their first ring. I never forget watching Kobe get his first ring. And you would think, all right, he got it. Microphone in his face. You know what he said? He wanted another one. Jordan got six. <laughs> it's like it just it was you. It, it, it was like anticlimactic. He it wasn't satisfied. He thought it would be, and it wasn't satisfying. King Solomon had it all, everything, and he realized when it was all said and done, it doesn't satisfy. God says, "Look, I will give you of the hidden man. I'll give you true satisfaction, and I guarantee you, you don't have to search anywhere else for it. If you you, you will find genuine satisfaction." as you walk in a relationship and obedience to Jesus Christ. He says, I promise that to those who overcome, I will give of the hidden manna to eat. Then he says also, I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And so the white stone in that, in that time, it was, it was sometimes given um, to those that were, that were finishing up a judicial hearing. And it was a, it was a sign that you've been, you've been exonerated, you've been set free. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you a white stone, pronounce you innocent, pronounce you free, and I'm going to write a new name on it. We see that throughout Scripture where God would give people new names, right? He gave Peter his name, renamed him that. Saul became Paul. Um, he would give people new names based not from what they were to what he wanted them to be. God says, I'm going I'm to free you. You'll be satisfied. You'll be free, and you'll be identified with me as my own. That's what he wants to do for those that are going to overcome. And I love this as I'm going through Revelation. I'm looking, God writes on a lot of stuff. He said, I'm going to write a new name on a stone. Nobody knows the name. I can't even make up what it would be. Um, I don't know what my new name would be, but I know it would be tight, whatever it is. Umbuka or something like that, you know. <laughs> name is going to be smooth. You watch and see. The cool thing about it would be that it came from him. Amen. And it identifies me with the one who set me free. Um, that he's claiming me and claiming you as his own. Um, later in Revelation, God writes his name on us, writes a new name on us. Um, so if you ever wanted a face tat, just wait till you get to heaven. Uh, you can write on your forehead a new name. So as, as we wrap this up, though, I do want to take a moment to pray. And I want everybody to take a moment, seriously, between you and the Lord. We're going to bow our hearts before God. It would be a shame to hear this and then not change. To not make it, not leave and not leave and do something with what we heard. The question that I said we'd answer every time we studied this book is, what does this teach me about Jesus? Um, it teaches me one that Jesus doesn't want to share space with the enemy in my life. You guys see that? He doesn't want compromise. I don't want to share. I don't want to share room with the enemy. I want to divide that up. I want to cut it out of my church, of your life. No compromise. Um, we learned that. The way to deal with compromise is to repent of it. 
That's what I'm going to invite us to do right now, that we would we'll confess to the Lord and pray right now. But we got to repent as we walk out of this place. And we've been warned that if we won't repent, he'll come slice it out for us. And I'm saying that don't, y'all don't want that. Agree with me that you don't want that. So we're going to repent right now. Amen. been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero Someone you would want to follow, but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective, but that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief! If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, that phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible here on A Transforming Word.